Hey everyone, welcome back to East Coast Haunts. I'm MK. And I'm Sam. And today we are going to be talking about part two of the Amityville Horror. So when we last left off, I believe it was uh, New Year's Eve night and the Lutz family had just encountered a fireplace demon. And you're going to be a little bit lost if you haven't listened to part one. So go listen to that now and then come back to this. But actually, before we dive into it, I did just want to say um, that Sam and I, I think we talked about this the last time, but we are starting a new Patreon series. Um, so if you're not a Patreon yet, now is the time to do so because we, we're going to be super active coming up lately. And if you're planning on going to Halloween Horror Nights, um, that's what our new Patreon series is about. So, you know, as always, thank you to all of our current patrons. But if you're still kind of on the fence as to whether or not you should become one, lowest tier is $3 a month. That's like one less Starbucks. That's like one less half of a Starbucks. Yeah. Um, a, a month. Water for Starbucks. And, <laughs> and um, you know you get all this extra content, you get access to our previous Patreon series that we did, which was reviewing classic horror movies, you get voting power, um, you know, you get more direct access to Sam and I messaging, um, we're thinking about maybe doing like a live Q&A soon. So you do get a ton of extra stuff for just anywhere from three, I think the highest tier right now is, is $10. But you can also do a custom contribution. So if $3 is a little steep, I think you can you can do a custom donation. Um, but yeah, definitely make sure to check that out because we've got a really, like a, what do you call it? Like a tsunami of content coming your way. Yeah, coming. Um, a ton of content coming. <laughs> and it's all, exactly. And it's all really cool Halloween Horror Nights lore and what we can expect in the parks this year in Universal Studios Parks. Um intellectual property houses and some of their original content so definitely make sure to check our patreon out um but that being said let's get back into the amityville horror are you ready yes i'm very ready i'm a little bit nervous okay it's this is only going to be i guess it's, it's part two of The Hauntings and part three overall of the Amityville house um, because part one was the DeFeo murders, which happened before any of The Hauntings. So also go check that part out. Um, but there is going to be one more part after this because I didn't want to cram everything into this last part, especially because it just escalates from here. So, Oh, no. <laughs> so let's start fresh from January 1st, 1976. So after the, inc- after the incident with the uh, fireplace demon, George and Kathleen Lutz, who are the mom and the dad of the family, somehow they fell asleep. Don't ask me how, I wouldn't have been able to, but somehow they knocked themselves out. And they are, yeah, maybe some sleepy time tea. Um, and they wake up <laughs> they wake up a short while later to their bed sheets being ripped off of them and a freezing wind whipping through the room. Never a pleasant way to wake up, but uh, extremely creepy 
given what we already have experienced in this house. So all the windows and doors on the second floor were open except the door to Missy's room. So George goes around and he closes all the windows and doors and then he opens the door to check on her. And it's very hot in in her room, like it's almost like an oven. And out of the corner of his eye, he sees the rocking chair going. It's rocking. No one's sitting in it, though. And the air is still. Air is still in that room. So it's not like the wind was rocking it. Um, It was rocking on its own accord. And as soon as he approached it, it stopped. So he is like, all right, not great. Uh, So he grabs Missy and him, Kathy, and Missy all sleep downstairs in the living room. So they stay awake until about 6 a.m. They finally fall back asleep and sleep for maybe one or two hours before George wakes up and he decides that he needs to go into the office because he's kind of been neglecting his his work and uh, he owns the company. So he's like, mm, maybe I should show face, especially because now it's being investigated by the IRS. Oh, so it is. It sure is. So they've yeah, been audited. Yeah. And that was definitely not in the movie. Mm-hmm. I said that was no, it's no, it's but it did happen in real life. So he's being audited. He's like, all right, I should probably show face in my office. So he leaves Kathy and the kids alone at home. Um, and Kathy decides to call Father Mancuso, who, if we remember from part one, are is the priest who came to bless the house as soon as they moved in. He heard an ominous voice saying, get out, um, leave, and has since then been suffering with like flu-like symptoms. And towards the end of part one, we talked about how he began to develop like blisters and sores on the inside of his palms, almost like a stigmata, which is, um, I guess it's like a belief in the Catholic church that, uh, you know, you can develop the wounds. It's like a very high honor bestowed among some saints that they receive the scars of the stigmata, which are five individual wounds that correspond to the wounds that Jesus Christ received when he was hanging on the cross. So it's one on each palm, one on each foot, and then one in the side. So his palms are just getting worse and worse. So it's not quite the stigmata because he doesn't have anything on his feet or his side and it's also not a scar it's like this extremely painful boil so it's almost like something's mocking him and mocking the stigmata so he's in severe pain but uh kathy goes to call him and the line connects very briefly and all of a sudden kathy gets that same overwhelming perfume smell that last time she was she felt like she was being smothered with it and she freaks out and she runs out of the kitchen and she leaves the phone off of the hook. So it disconnects. So the family, once George returns home, they enjoy a nice new year's day dinner together. And it's for the most part uninterrupted. So they're like, okay, feeling good about it. Even though, you know, it's been less than a day than the whole ordeal with the wind and the doors, and George goes outside to just check sure, check to make sure everything is locked down. And Harry, the dog, is still very lethargic, like um, not as alert as he usually is because he's a trained guard dog. And usually, no, he's 
doesn't sleep a whole lot or he's a very light sleeper and he's been sleeping a lot lately. So George is like, all right, I'm going to take him to the vet uh, tomorrow. But he goes back inside and he puts the kids to bed and Kathy and George do their little nighttime routine of hanging out in the living room. And Kathy is sitting next to George and she turns to say something to him and right beyond George on the other side of the window is a pair of glowing red eyes just staring at Kathy. So she screams. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And George, I would also scream too um, because that is, I think I've mentioned this several times before. One of my worst fears is looking out and seeing someone looking back in at me. So that would be, I, I don't know what I would do, but it wouldn't be rational and it wouldn't be good. So were the um, anything? No, she well, it was pitch black outside, so she could only see the two red eyes. So she screams. George jumps up and he runs outside, and he doesn't see anything outside the window. But he's shining his flashlight, and eventually the flashlight beam lands on tracks away from the house, to and away from the house. Um. And they're not human tracks, they're not dog tracks, they're tracks of a cloven-hooved animal, like a pig. Which is really creepy, because we talked about in part one that Missy, the youngest daughter, has um, met or made up some sort of uh, imaginary friend, and this imaginary friend just so happens to be a pig. Okay. Very so creepy. Pigs have cloven hooves. They do. Right. So okay. they were described to be, you know, like the tracks of a pig. Creepy. Okay. Don't like Very it. Creepy. So that's the night of January 1st, and it's past Happy midnight now. Happy New Year! Welcome to your hell house. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. Now it's January 2nd. It's still like the night between January 1st and January 2nd. Um, but I just wanted to transition because I've been doing like days so far. So now it's January 2nd. Next morning, George goes out to check if the tracks are still there. They were. Um, okay. Even though it had snowed over that night, which was weird that oh, they would still be there. Yeah. I know. Um, and he finds his huge metal garage door torn off the hinges. So, this could not have been done by human strength. Why, would have needed why are they still here? Why are they still here? I don't here? know. It's, I guess they feel like they have to because they bought into this house and now it's like, you gotta see it through. It. It's, it's kind of like the same thing with the Conjuring house. Like, they, they bought this house and they're gonna stay in it if they yeah. can. And like, it's not like there's any physical harm being done to everyone, anyone. It's just kind of like freaky occurrences. Yeah. That they're probably trying to run off. So unfortunately that's about to change. Um, so George, George is like freaked out and he's pissed off about his garage door because it's going to cost some money to replace. But he's also like, I don't know how that happened last night without anyone in the family hearing it. Like it would have been made a great deal of noise. So at this point, he's still kind of trying to rationalize it. He's like, all right, maybe I'll call the police. You know, maybe it was a vandal. But nothing I can do about it now. And I have to go into the office to deal with this IRS business. 
So, <laughs> so Kathy is in the kitchen and again, she starts to smell that strong scent of perfume, but this time it makes contact with her. So it grabs her two wrists and it kind of like holds them almost as if she's in handcuffs. Um, and then she feels a presence behind her, which grabs her shoulders really tightly. So it's like two separate presences and she begins to feel this like immense pressure as if she's being like squeezed in between these two presences. Um, and it's enough that she has a panic attack and she passes out on the ground. I do so slightest. Yeah, I would, I would do the same. I would think, um, it's a very scary feeling to like have these interactions. And then all of a sudden, like now they're interacting with you. Yeah, and honestly, it, maybe it wasn't even a panic attack. I mean, like, couldn't she have been, like, passing out from, like, I don't know. I feel like there's, like, a million reasons that she could have passed out. I agree. It's, I don't know. It, who's to say, really? But yeah, now, I guess it doesn't really matter either way. Now there's some sort of, like, physical harm being imparted on the family, right? Yeah. So, so no um, exactly. So, meanwhile, I, I believe I mentioned this in part one, but... This is when George stops at the Witch's Brew, and right. he the local bar, and the bartender reveals that he was a contractor at 112 Ocean, because they were just making, like, polite conversation. He was like, oh, you're new to the area? And he's like, yeah, um, you know, I moved into, like, 112 Ocean Ave, and he's like, oh, that's where the DeFeo murders happened. And he's like, yeah, I know. Um, and the bartender is like, you know, I, I worked on that house, like, I... I did construction for the DeFeos. And he's like, you know, you have a secret room in your basement. And George kind of like plays dumb. And he's like, what? No, I would have found it by now. And he's like, yeah, no, right behind the staircase, there's a secret red room. He's like, it really messed with me. And I, I guess like the color red messed with me or whatever. I spent too much time. Maybe there were some fumes down there, but I kept having these like horrible nightmares of, like, these hooded figures sacrificing pigs and dogs. Oh, man. So. Oh, man. I I, I really don't have anything to say about that besides. It just, this is just so bad. I know. It's, like, at what point do you put two and two together and be like, you know what? Maybe it's all in my head, but I'm not willing to take that chance. Yeah, I know. Uh, he was too focused on the IRS coming after him, I think. Honestly, yeah, his mind is other place, other places, and I, I don't really blame him. So you, really can't. you can't blame him that much. I, I, I feel bad for this family just because they were like, yeah, this is like a great house. Like, we've got the boathouse. We've got a swimming pool. All of our kids have their own room. Like, you know, whatever. And if it seems this is what happened. It probably is. Exactly. That is the motto of the story, I think. Yeah. Um, so George is like, okay. And he goes home and he calls Father Mancuso and he briefly connects over the phone and he's like, please, Father, like, please come back. Like, we'll, we'll make you dinner, like, whatever. And, and Father's like, no, I'm not going back to the house. Like, I really, really can't. But I, will perform a votive mass for your family. And then immediately the line disconnects. 
a votive mass is when votive it's like um it's like when a priest performs a private mass with like a certain intention so he'll perform like the sacraments that are usually performed in a mass but there's no congregation um and he's specifically for that intention Exactly. So he goes and he performs this mode of mess. Yeah, it's it's nice. It's as nice as he can be without actually being like physically involved in this again. So he goes and he performs this votive mass for the family. And immediately he like, upon returning home, he opens the door to his apartment and it's filled with the smell of human excrement. So that's disgusting. Yeah. So um, it smells like poop. It's really, really quite gross. Um, But really disgusting. But he does note in the book that like, although demonology is not like his strong suit, like, I guess I don't really want to speak too much on this topic because I'm not like super well-versed in, um, like, the seminary, but I believe you can, yeah, you can, um, like, go certain paths, like, almost like a college major, I believe, um, and his was not demonology, but he did, I guess, have to take, like, some sort of, like, demonology class, and the, the one thing that they, like, that really stuck with him was, like, if it smells like human excrement, it's, like, a sign of the devil, like, if it okay. makes sense in that context. Okay. Which in this, it does. Yeah. It especially because... It wasn't a, br- a bursted pipe or something. No. It's, and especially because it was only his apartment. Like, there was nothing else, and they didn't find anything wrong with it. Oh, so he so opens his windows. Listen to this, though. He opens his windows, and he burns incense, which would usually help. It only made it worse. What the heck? Ew, it's like obnoxious. Like I know it's probably the least of his worries in a way, but like, it's like so. It's like so embarrassing though. Like low key, Um, I know because no one's gonna believe him if he's like, no, like it's not me. (laughs) Like they're gonna be like, okay, old man, bro's having some IBS issues, some GI issues. You're gastroenterologist. That's not normal. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, um. So that's all for January 2nd. January 3rd, George places a call to the Amityville Police Department. He's like, yo, you gotta come check out my house. Like, something's going on, and I don't know if it's vandalism, I don't know if it's supernatural, but please send someone out. So the police department sends a Sergeant Lou Zamataro, and he goes out and he makes a visit to the house, and he investigates the garage door and he really doesn't find like any signs of vandalism besides the fact that you know it's been torn off the hinges and um he but he just has this like weird feeling and he recounted afterwards he was like i know that i didn't help them out at all but like this is not within my scope of work like you know what i'm saying it's he so he recommends that he's like you should probably find a priest to bless this house and he thinks he's being helpful but of course the Lutzes are like oh gee thank you like thanks for that we already thought of that so so Lou leaves Sergeant Lou leaves 
And immediately upon him leaving, George notices that the air compressor in the boathouse has stopped working. So I had to Google this. Yeah, what is um, it? I did not know. It's an, so an air compressor. So the boathouse is basically um, like a shed constructed over part of the river so that the boat is in the water, but it's also in the house. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's yeah. Like, yeah, okay. So the floor, I guess, where what would be the floor of the boathouse is water from the river. Makes sense. That the boat is in. Okay. So it's like a garage for your boat is the best way yeah. I can describe that. Okay, cool. So the air compressor is, if you can't afford a lift, so something that'll take your boat out of the water so it avoids freezing, you can get an air compressor, which... Um, it like releases bubbles and it kind of like keeps the water agitated so that the water around your boat doesn't freeze and it doesn't damage the hull. Oh, I've so, heard of that before. Interesting. I mean, yeah, I I think it's probably like a little bit of 1970s. Per, Maybe like, it's not as much of a thing anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's has stopped working, which is kind of a big deal because now he's like, oh shoot, like I don't want it to freeze and damage my boat. So he's like, oh, maybe I have, like, another battery in the basement. So he goes down in the basement to get some parts, and immediately he notices that there's the horrible smell of human excrement, and shockingly, it's coming from the red room behind the stairs. Okay. So he's like, this is disgusting, and it's actually so strong that it causes him to vomit. <gasps> wow. So it's... it's strong and he's like he would have to smell really 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 bad to cause me to physically throw up well especially because george is an ex-marine so it's not like he's i don't i don't want to say like weak but yeah but he's 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 an ex-marine and he's probably got a really strong stomach too yeah um with the training that they have to go through so just keep that in mind. Like, this is not... So he probably thinks he can handle anything, which is another, like, added layer to why they're staying in this house. Yeah. But You're right. that night, Kathy, who is not an ex-Marine, comes and she confronts George, and she's like, I, I just, I want to leave. And he's like, we have to stick it out. Like, you can go stay with your mom for a little bit. Like, we'll figure something out. But... Like, we, we can't leave this house. We'll figure it out. So they're kind of going back and forth, and they walk into the living room to do their, like, nightly little chatter, like, you know, read their book, knit, whatever, in the living room. And the ceramic lion that I mentioned in part one, yes, uh, yes. which had previously been moved to the sewing room, is now perched on Kathy's side table with its oh. teeth bared in a snarl, and that was not its original posi- like pose. What What do you even do in that situation? I would. I don't know. When the stone changes shape, that is it. Yeah, I, I guess like even that, I would be like, maybe I was just tired and like seeing things, but. The, so Kathy screams and, and George yeah. takes it and he throws it outside. And he throws it in the trash outside. Fair so <laughs> don't blame him. So um, and then they just go to bed. <laughs> okay. But they, Listen, they can sleep well. That's good for them. Yeah, but um, 
now moving on to like January 4th and 5th. They're like milder days, so I'm going to do them together. But okay. um, so January 4th, George wakes up at 3.15 to the uh, sound of a marching band downstairs. Like a literal marching band? Like a literal marching band. He said it was so loud that it was, like, shaking his bed, and he was, like, he thought he was going to go deaf, but the rest of his family was sleeping completely soundly. So he runs down the stairs, and as soon as he hits the lights in the living room, the music stops completely. So he's like, this is so weird, but he, like, goes upstairs, and he goes back to check on Kathy, and he finds her levitating, above the bed okay and she's drifting towards the now open windows so i feel like the these hauntings are like unhinged like there's a marching band so much so that he thinks he's gonna go deaf and then when he gets back up his wife is in the air like what even like I, I know that a lot of people, like, think that this is a hoax, and I'm gonna get into, a, like, a little bit about that in in the next part. Yeah. This is a lot. It's a lot it's like, to it's, make it's up. Like, you're not even, it's, like, such a bizarre haunting. It's, like, what, it almost makes me, like, be like, okay, well, why would it be, like, they, why would they make up these, like, random things? It's so are, like, random. So outlandish, like, because they could have thought of scarier things than, like, a marching band, but there's, yeah. like... You know? That's why, like, like, not to discredit it, but when we did the Sally house, I was like, okay, this is, like, freaky. Yeah. But it's, like, stuff that I could have thought up. I'm never going to be like, I think my house is haunted and it's because I heard a marching band in the middle of the night. What? Right. Right. What? Or, or I saw my, um, my like, little j- dragon statue change its facial expression. Like, I, it's just yeah. like, random things. Yeah. So anyway, George doesn't tell her. She like briefly wakes up because he grabbed her and she as soon as he touched her, she like fell to the floor. So a good few foot fall and she's like, What happened? And he's like, Oh, you just fell off the bed. Um <laughs> He didn't want to tell her she was levitating. No. <laughs> but the next honestly, I would appreciate if my husband kept that from me. So Yeah, I don't want to know if I'm levitating, boys. Me either. <laughs> Not really. Um, so the next morning, George is like, well, I'm going to call Father Mancuso. And right before the line disconnects, so, you know, we've been having this static, the line has been disconnected. Something in this house does not want George talking to, to Father Mancuso. Yeah. So right before this line disconnects again, Father Mancuso agrees to try to help them again. Okay. Finally. Okay. Immediately the blisters disappear on his hands. He hangs up the phone and he looks at his hands and they're gone. Even which is weird. Need to help? Mm-hmm. Which is weird okay. because you would think that they would have gotten worse or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but don't worry. We're not, we're not done with him. It'll, I don't want to say it'll make sense soon, but it'll be righted soon. Okay. Good. Just kidding. So, <laughs> So, um, George is like, all right, whatever. So he goes out to check on Harry. The rest of the family's asleep. It's, like, late at night. And he hears the marching band again from inside. And it's, like, rattling the house. And he, he's like, oh, my God. Like, 
I, they have to be hearing this. Like, someone's got to be awake. So he runs inside. Marching band immediately stops as soon as he steps over the threshold. But all of the furniture and the living room rug had been pushed up against the wall as if to make, like, a, a makeshift stage for a performance. That is so, this is so weird. And all of his family was dead asleep. Was Butch DeFeo, what, did he, was he in, like, the school band or something? Like, what? We don't know. We don't, so we don't know why there's a marching band, but there was, so. I don't think there was the marching um, band thing in the movie. Um, no, I don't think there was. Not that I can remember. I know there was, like, a part where they make a little bit of racket, but we haven't gotten to that part yet. I think that's okay. trying to show a different part. So, January 6th. No insurrection, but um, Father Father Mancuso goes to um, two chancellors in the Catholic Church. And I'm not totally sure, like, what this title, uh, like, establishes. Yeah, but I just know that it is, like, a title for very distinct officials in the church. Like, they're higher-ups. They're one step closer to the Vatican, or several steps closer to the Vatican. So he goes to see these chancellors, uh, Ryan and Chancellor Nunzio, Nuncio, to see if they can get help from the Vatican in case of a possession, or at least guide him in helping this family. And he's met with a fair amount of skepticism. They are both, like, it's very rare to see, you know, a true possession, especially because, um... I guess the the Catholic church believes that houses or things can't be possessed. Like only people can be possessed, but I guess they can be like infested. I is the the, the proper term. Um, So they're like, it's very rare for us to see like a real true case of like either infestation or possession. Um, It's probably either the power of suggestion. So one of the members of the family is like really kind of, uh, you know, making the others go crazy, or it's like a very minute, like limited mass hysteria outbreak okay. within the okay. family and, and the extended family. So they're like, and I, get it, cause I feel like they want to be careful about just like going around saying that everything is like a haunting or everything is exactly because everyone's not take them seriously. Exactly, and they're also kind of like, if this is like a true case of mental health, like there's nothing that we can do that will stop like the mass hysteria outbreak like that it needs to be you know treated properly right and you know the vatican only does exorcisms in cases of extreme extreme like i they require like actual proof they require like several visitations beforehand before they actually like grant an exorcism okay so so they're like can't get you an exorcism, but we will tell you, like, we'll give you, we'll give you a little bit of help. Um, do not go back to that house because it's horrible for your health. It's horrible for your mental health and you're done helping. So they're just like putting, yeah, they're putting their foot down. They're like, you're, you're done. You're done helping. There's nothing you can do anymore. You've, you've done your vote of mouse mass. You've blessed the house. Um, you know, it's, it's time for you to take a step back. So he's like, yeah. And you know what? You can't blame these chancellors. They're looking out for their guy here. And 
Exactly. So they, so he reports like leaving that, that meeting, like he's like, feels a little bit guilty, but he also feels like this massive weight is lifted off his shoulders. I can't even imagine how relieved he felt. Yeah, I know. So (laughs) unfortunately though, the relief doesn't last long. So he goes back to his apartment and he gets a call and it's it's like an unusual call. He gets a call from the priest that had helped him right after he had first blessed the house when his car broke down. And okay. he had come and he had like he had picked him up and he had reported that his windshield wipers had gone crazy. And Father Mancuso has not spoken to this priest since that day. And remember, it's been like like two, three weeks at this point. Right. So it's not like this is a regular conversation. So he answers the phone. He's like, hey, father, like, have any, he's like joking around. He's like, have any more problem with your windshield wipers? And he's like, and the other father's like not in a joking mood. He's like, uh, no, like, why have you, has like anything else happened with your car? And he's like, oh no, like I was just asking. And he was like, well, I just got like a really weird call. Um, and the person on the other line, like didn't introduce themselves but they told me to contact the priest that I helped a while back and tell him to not come back or he'll die. So Father Mancuso is like, um, like who, like, do you know who it was? And the other priest is like, well, I asked him who it was. And his only response was the priest will know who it is. Oh my God. So, so okay, so uh, if it wasn't enough that the the super high up people in the church told you not to go back, that's not. that's where that's when you step back. That's when you're okay, like, I okay, the voice, I would love to know what the voice. Actually, I don't really want to know want to know what the voice sounds like, but I am a little curious. Oof. Yeah, it's I don't know. It, I that would freak me out beyond yeah. beyond me yeah. even the financial bath on the house and so and so father mancuso is like all right i'm not going back to this house um but i will like the george is gonna wonder why i cut things off so he calls george one last time and he's like i can't help you anymore i can't come back to the house like i'm under official orders from the church and also like it's just bad for my health but you can contact the physical research institute in north carolina and George is like, why would I, con- like, what, like, research like I, I, I need a priest's help. And Father Mancus is like, sorry, can't help you. And so next, the next morning, so the morning of January the 6th, like, while this is all happening, um, Kathy's dropping the boys off at school and she takes Missy to her mom's just to get out of the house for a little bit. And George is like, ah, perfect. Now I can investigate without, like, freaking anyone out. Um, So he goes down to the basement. He's like, I need an explanation for the smell. And the smell is completely gone. But he goes back in the red room and he's, like, kind of poking underneath the house. And he's, like, exploring the original house foundation. And he finds a well underneath, like, where the entry stairs to the house up above are. And he's like, this is really weird. Like, I don't know, like they must have covered it up when they did the original foundation. So he's like, all right, 
I should probably go back into work and make sure that my business doesn't get, I don't get arrested by the IRS. (laughs) And so he goes into work and he's like almost immediately confronted by one of his uh, workers named Eric. And he's like, hey, like, I know you have been telling people that you're having some sort of problems with your house. He's like, my girlfriend is a medium. And she was born with a Venetian veil, which, again, I didn't know what that was. But it's apparently like a call or like an extra like a super thin layer of skin that some babies are born with over their face. And they you can just like, I guess, peel it off or like cut it off. But they, it's said that babies that are born with a Venetian veil can see into the spiritual realm. Oh, wow. I did not know that either. I didn't know that either. So pretty cool. So George calls her and she's like, yeah, I've heard, you know, Eric's told me all about your house. She's and without George saying anything, she's like, you're probably going to find some sort of well on property. She's like, it's, it's very common for spirits to like use that as an entryway into the house. But you know, if you don't want to go poking around for that, I get it, but I want to visit your house. So he's like, yeah, please. Like, please come over. So that night's pretty uneventful. Next day is January 7th. And George is like, I've had enough of this house. Like, I just, he's had it up to here. He's ready for them to be done. So he contacts Francine, who's the medium girlfriend, and Eric, who's the worker. And he also places a call to the Parapsychology Physical Research Institute in North Carolina. Okay, so the family eats dinner. And they're kind of, they're waiting for Francine and Eric to get there. And Missy's like, oh, I'm going to go up to my room and play. Like, Harry, come with me. So she brings the dog up to her room and the whole family can hear her say, Harry, meet Jody." From that moment on, this big, tough watchdog spends the rest of the night cowering under her bed and like whimpering. Oh my God. And... It can only why can why can they see it? I don't I don't they have like a sixth sense, yeah. dogs and cats. So, um, it, it's just it's weird. So anyway, they like finally let him out of Missy's room, and he like runs and he like hides under Danny's bed for the rest of the night. Oh, and yeah. I know, poor dog. This poor dog is really he's really going through it. He is. Um, I know. And so then Francine and Eric come over and immediately Francine goes into the living room. She starts identifying spirits. She goes into the kitchen and she identifies the spirit of an old lady and an old man. And she tells Kathy that she can smell her perfume. Kathy hasn't said anything about this perfume. So she's like, all right, maybe this girl's like the real deal. So she tells Kathy and George that she believes that the house was built on a burial ground. And she said that someone had been murdered on the ground where the closets in the cellar were. Okay. So she goes down into the cellar and she's like, yeah, definitely someone's someone lost their life here. She's like, I got to get out of the cellar. It's not good for me to be down here. So she goes into the sewing room, which again, that's where like all the flies have been. Like this, this room is, is an issue. And she's like, I am sensing that this has been like a particular area of concern. So 
I'm going to read a direct passage from the book. And again, this is The Amityville Horror by Jay Anson. Um, And Francine begins to speak in a very heavy, more masculine voice. And she says, quote, I would like to make one more suggestion to you. Most people find out who their spirits are and they find out they like them. They don't want them to get lost or go away. But in this case, I feel the house should be cleared or exercised. Somebody's little boys and girl. I see bloodstains. Somebody hurt themselves badly here. Somebody tried to kill themselves or something. End quote. So. This is in the sewing room. So it didn't strike George until later on that night but then he recognized the voice that she was speaking in was Father Mancuso's voice. Whoa. Creepy, right? Yeah. So immediately upon exiting this trance, she informs the Lutzes that she doesn't think it's good for her to be here. She's too susceptible and they leave. So so George is like, well, I guess I got to check in on Father Mancuso right now. And Father Mancuso answers the phone, and he's had enough of George's shit by now. Yeah, he's like, so George, annoying. George, leave the house. Leave the house, leave your stuff, get out of there. Line disconnects, and immediately, Father Mancuso, who had begun to, like, heal a little bit before cutting, or since cutting things off with George, he comes down with those flu-like symptoms and, like, the 104-degree fever again. I know that. As a man of God, he is trying to do the right thing, but, but it comes I know. He needs to leave it alone. Poor guy, I feel bad for him. Oh, I know, I do too. And now, we're coming up on January 8th, which is the last day that we're going to cover in this part, and then in the next part, we're going to cover the 9th through when they left the house, which I believe was the 18th, so about a week okay. or so. So, Kathy's brother, remember in part one, who got married, Jimmy? Yes. And his new wife, yes, his new wife, Carrie, are back from their Bermudan honeymoon, and they're coming to stay with the family because they missed them. And immediately upon, I feel like I've said immediately so many times this episode, but everything's very, like, coincidentally happens, like, at the same time. You know what I'm saying? So. He gets to the house and he's like, hey, did you ever find that 1500 I lost? And George is like, no, like, we never found it. And he's like, ah, oh, shoot, like, that sucks. Um, <laughs> so so they're kind of, like, catching up and they're, they're swapping stories. And the phone rings. And it's a George Kekoris, Kekoris from the Physical Research Institute. And he's like, hey, I'm so sorry. Like, I tried to make it today but um like i ran into some bad weather and i'll try to be at your house in the morning so um they're like oh great like awesome finally someone's gonna do something about this and on that like happyish note they're like okay let's let's go to bed early like everyone's tired you know we've we've had a lot of traveling they're jet lagged whatever and they go to bed and george wakes up at like three ish and he's like hmm, this is like kind of weird that it's not 315 exactly, but okay, like, I'll take it. 
So he's laying awake in his bed, and as the clock strikes 15, he hears Carrie screaming from the other room. So he and Kathy run into their room. She had been sleeping in Missy's room, and she said that she had woken up, and she said that she saw a little boy sitting on the end of her bed, and there was still an indent, like, in the covers where he was sitting. Like, you know how covers wrinkle a little bit? yeah, yeah, yeah. So she said that this little boy, who's super pale and, like, sickly looking, asked where Missy and Jody were. Because they're not sleeping in that room, so they're like, where where are my friends? Okay. Wait, but where actually were they? They were just sleeping, like, I think in the living room or something. And so Carrie's hysterical. Jimmy's, like, freaked out. But they both eventually fall back asleep. But George and Kathy are like, this is, like, so freaky. So they're like, you know what? Father Mancuso's not going to come back to bless the house. We're going to bless it on our own. So they go into, Kathy goes into the closet and she takes down the crucifix that was hanging upside down in, like, part one. And it's, like, a big silver crucifix. And they go and they start blessing the house from the bottom up. So they finish most of the first floor But they start to say the Lord's Prayer in the living room, and a chorus of screaming voices begins, loud enough to shake the ceiling, shake the chandelier, and it's all, like, nonsense, like, overlapping chatter, or I guess not chatter, just, like, screams, like, overlapping screams, until they all synchronize for one second to yell, will you stop? And then it fades out. And that's where we're going to leave part two. That is the creepiest way to end this part, by the way. I know. It's it's the creepiest way to end that. So if that's not, like, clear-cut evidence that something or someone wants them out of this house, I don't know what is. If something or someone wants them out of the house and they want them to stop trying to, like, exercise them or to get the other, to get the, the... other beings out of the house they're like this is our place you go it sounds like yeah so anyway that's that's part three of the amityville horror and And i guess next week is when we is when we wrap everything up right oh yeah and it's it's just gonna get worse so it's just gonna get worse good i'm definitely i'm interested for the next episode especially I'm really excited to hear about the um, the claims that it's fake because it just seems so yeah. fantastical. Like I understand why people think it's fake, but like there's also a part of me that's like, why would they make it up? I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to sound stupid, but I just realized that I skipped over what I think is the freakiest part of this part. I just skipped right over it. Oh my god! So. so 2 a.m on the night i guess it was the morning of january 8th so right before jimmy and carrie come okay george wakes up george wakes up and he's like i need a beer right now like i just i need a beer and he's like i can't i can't just get one from the fridge like it's not gonna quench my thirst like i need to go to the witch's brew right now okay which is like weird it's like weird but he like starts to get out of bed and then he realizes that kathy is levitating again so he goes to like 
grab her to bring her back down. And he notices that she now has the face of a 90 year old woman and is foaming at the mouth. Bro. So, so he screams, she wakes up, she screams because she doesn't know what's going on. And she runs to the mirror and she sees that she has this like complexion of a 90 year old and suddenly like the wrinkles right before both of their eyes like begin to fade but in their place are three deep black slashes that cut all the way down her face so she's freaked out she's thinking she's going to be disfigured disfigured for life and luckily for her before the time jimmy and carrie got there they faded i just don't understand why? I, I it's it's fear they're trying to instill as much fear in these people as they can yeah, like, i say I wonder, as the why, demon why would, she, why would she have the face of a 90 year old woman that's so random yeah okay, i, I that's know. what i'm saying it's like it's i think it's hard to like make this stuff up it, that's I know, so I I agree. random it's so it's it is so random i know okay but, i'm glad that you went back to that because that's <laughs> very bizarre the most bizarre part is that he was gonna get up at like 2 a.m and like walk and go get himself a beer local pub yeah also it's not like a college bar it's a bar in like not the middle of nowhere but it's like the local bar like by the time he gets there i would bet that they're closed that is so weird i mean i understand that in times like this it's easy to turn to alcohol you know we've heard it time and time again (laughs) But, bro, also, don't leave your family alone in the house while you go get a brewski. Rude. (laughs) Bro wanted a brewski with the bros at the witch's brew. So weird. So weird. Did a crack open a cold one with the boys. With the demon boys. Cracking open a cold one with Lucifer. But, anyway, that's that's part two, uh, three of the Amityville Horror, and you don't have to wait very long for part four. So you guys soon. We will talk to you soon. Keep it spooky. And that one might be special because we are probably going to be doing that one together in person, and not virtually. So thank God. Get ready. Get ready. I can't wait. We're gonna be back in the same place. Nowhere on the East Coast is safe. Nowhere on the East Coast is safe. Exactly. We're going to be tearing down those... That coast. I don't know. Exactly. Right up the coast. Thank you for listening. And until next time, we're just two ghouls creeping it real. Spooky. Bye. Bye.